<laughs> feel like they parted the waters. <laughs> oh, dwindling down to a precious few, isn't it? Hmm. Yeah. So we're, we've been looking at these, uh, first, uh, these three fetters that are uprooted at the first stage of awakening. Such an interesting te- teaching. And uh, the, the last one I want to talk about is actually the first one in the list, Sakaya Ditti. And it's interesting to me that um, this always appears first in the list. Um, Sakaya Ditti means personality view or self-view. And I don't know, there seems to be an implication to me in the, in the teachings that Sakaya Ditti is placed first because uh, we need to see it as soon as possible. <laughs> you know, it's, it's kind of a baseline insight, a baseline understanding. Without insight into self-view, then, and, and also how it happens, the implications of being caught up in it, let alone what, um, you know, seeing through it and being able to stop doing it, stop getting caught up uh, in, in this uh, view of self. Uh, we, and until we do that, we don't really have a strong basis for letting go. This is the stuff of the grabbing, you know, and this, uh, having this insight into self-view becomes a very strong basis for letting go. And you can train the mind to stop grabbing. You know, that's what samatha is all about. You know, we talked about that, samatha being the, the, serving the function of uprooting or getting at diminishing the craving in the heart. Uh, but, you know, without understanding, without vipassana, then you can't really see how it's happening. Um, or, um, you know, so letting go, uh, uh, you know, of it, it becomes very difficult. Uh, that habit of mind to see things through, through this view of the self, it runs very, very deep. Uh, and so, in, indeed, our practice is about uh, overcoming this craving um, at the heart of suffering. And, uh, you know, if that's the case, then it stands to reason that we really need to break out of the ignorance that's at the root of the craving. That's sort of the driving the craving. You've got to see how that's happening. And, uh, and, and you know, if you, if you just kind of get this self-view, it forms the basis of the attachment and the identification. That forms the basis of the craving and ignorance. <laughs> you know, it's all tied up together there. Uh, and, uh, you know, basically, I think what the Buddha is saying, is it's just as simple as that, you know. <laughs> you just got to see that, see all of that. And for myself, I've, I've come to really appreciate um, two particular teachings that help us to, to get at this. Uh, and just to really begin to see for ourselves this persnickety habit of mind. And, and in a way, learn to relate to it well, because you know, it doesn't serve us to get into a battle with it. You know, we, I was talking to somebody recently about you know, having uh, a war with self, you know, self is trying to get, have a non-self or trying to get rid of a self, you know, uh, and, and that's often the case. I don't, I really haven't met any meditators that haven't gone through that at some point in their practice, you know, just having that war on it. But uh, in, in order to do this, you have to, um, one has to uh, uh, see how, the, uh, how we're grasping at the body and mind from this vantage point of self. And the Buddha had a lot to say about this. There's, it's throughout uh, many of the suttas. And so we'll spend most of our time just looking at uh, that uh, particular teaching around that. But the other perspective that I've come to uh, see is very important as well. It's more subtle, and um, it's, a, it's a way of seeing 
um, uh, self-view that isn't presented in such a detailed or specific way in the suttas, but it's definitely there. Uh, and uh, I found just contemplating this approach very helpful as well. So we'll look at both of those. So uh, just to start out, it, it can be very helpful to break uh, down the, the Pali word itself, sakaya ditti, uh, and uh, you know, see what's at the basis of that. These words have, have the meaning all wrapped up inside them. Uh, and, but as it's often the case, the, the scholars are divided on this. You know, they have different perspectives on what these roots are that, that make up this word. So the most popular one um, looks at sa, kaya, and ditti, where sa is, uh, it means own, you know, my own. Uh, and kaya is usually translated as the body, but it also has some translations where it's referred to as personality. Uh, and then ditti, of course, is view. So somehow they're putting all these together and, and they, you get this view of one's own body or one's personality as being self. It's a view of, of, of this as self. And so that you get these translations, self-view, personality view. But this other um, perspective is a slight variation on that translation. And I, and I, I kind of like it a, a little bit better because I think it's more apt, but uh, they're, both, they're both fine. Uh, and this comes from the commentaries. Uh, and the, this says that the, the base of Sakaya Ditti is actually just two words, Sakaya and Ditti. And that Sakaya uh, is a different base. And it, it actually uh, is more uh, accurately translated as existing group. And uh, the commentary further says that um, it refers to the five aggregates. And it's often refer, re referred to as a synonym for the five aggregates. Uh, and so, uh, and this is uh, these five constituent parts that make up the body and mind. Body, feeling, perception, mental formations, and consciousness. And though in this sense, then, Sakaya Ditti is translated as the view or belief of these five aggregates as being self. And that aligns very much with the teaching on, uh, of Anatta, which is very similar. So, but either way, you know, what's happening when we get caught up in self-view is that we take this body and mind to be who we are. And so we relate from this very personal and, and self-oriented vantage point, or perspective, or view. Uh, and it's a, it's a view about experience. But um, it, it, it soon dominates and becomes the experience. You know, if you can feel, and I'm sure you've seen this in your own um, uh, practice, uh, we live in a very se uh, self-absorbed perspective or view about what's happening, about our experience. Or I like the way James Joyce put it in The Dubliners. He says, we're, we live a short distance from ourselves. <laughs> there's, a, there's the idea of what's happening, the view about what's happening, and then there's what's happening. But because of habit and um, repetition, um, that view about experience becomes the dominant uh, aspect, uh, uh, the dominant feature of our experience. And that's really all the Buddha is saying here. You know, it's not, it's not really weird. It can sound so weird. Uh, but it's about how we're relating and how um, this way of relating takes over, dominates. And we don't see it. We don't know. We don't. I mean, I don't know about you, but I didn't know I was doing it until somebody pointed it out, uh, as the Buddha has. 
So it's a, it's kind of a weird configuration, self-view, you know, you, and you can find ourselves just kind of scratching our heads, what's this all about, you know? But I find it really helpful to just look at view, period, you know, views, what happens with uh, uh, views, uh, and think about how they operate. There's what is, and there's the view about what is. And that's what we're saying here. There's, there's what is, and there's the view about what is oriented towards me. <laughs> I'm the center, center of the universe. <laughs> and we tend to get caught up in that uh, and, and uh, lose the direct experience of our lives. You know, it, it's like, you know, a good example might be, you know, people shouldn't harm each other, but they do. And you can get all caught up in this view that it shouldn't, that shouldn't be that way. But it is that way. Can you feel it? You know, that, that you can feel the tangle. You can feel the distortion. Or, you know, the view that he shouldn't have gotten elected. But he did, you know. He did get elected. And, and we were living in this other side, you know. We've got to do something about this. <laughs> so, um, as practitioners, then, our effort is to see this view, uh, but also um, see that it's not our direct experience. It's not what's happening. And, uh, and basically, what practice is all predicated on is, uh, it, uh, is trying to get us back to direct experience. That's where the action is. That's where it's all happening. That's where the insight is. But you've got to get into it. You've got to be in the direct experience of life, unencumbered by this habit of mind that keeps pulling us out of it, right? So understanding a self-view is, is a very important uh, aspect of this. It forms the basis for being able to do that. You stop getting pulled out of direct experience by going to uh, what I think about it. You know, what I have to say about it. So then our task then, if you consider it as a practitioner, is just to look at our experience and see if we can see this for ourselves. Uh, through practice and, and contemplation, we begin to notice how this view of self um, is, is something that is not intrinsic to our experience. It, it, it is a complete add-on. It's a complete tag. It's, it's a, I, I feel it sometimes it's kind of like a mimic. It's going on about what's happening. Uh, there's sensation in the body. There's feelings of pleasure, pain, and neither. There's perceptions and ideas. There's habits uh, and patterns of mind. And there's consciousness. And there's the thought or idea that all of that is me. And if you can separate those out, that's the beginning of the end of it. <laughs> You know, it's a perspective that keeps getting added to experience, but it's not our experience. I just feel it. When you're in a special place right now, uh, meditating as you do, to be able to see this, because it takes slowing it all down. It takes being able to see what we're experiencing and then watch these thoughts and ideas about that that come in. And you, you can see it very directly, this, this thing that keeps getting added. This me, and, and, and breaking that apart so that it's not uh, where we live. So there's a, there's a number of suttas where the Buddha is looking at um, the, what he calls the four kinds of incorrect views in regard to all of this. Uh, um, views that occur when we're relating incorrectly to uh, these five subcategories of the body and mind, uh, body, feeling, 
perception, formations, and consciousness. And I don't know about you, but I, I just find this a very interesting teaching. Um, you know, for many years, I just kind of read it. Oh, yeah, I get that. Okay, I get that. I get that. I get that. But when you start to really poke at it and, you know, just uh, contemplate what it is that he's saying, um, I don't know, a couple of things happen. First, you start to begin to see it more clearly. But also, I, I get this, I mean, I have this image of the Buddha as really having a great sense of humor, you know. And, and I can almost see him thinking about these things and going, oh, wait till they get this, wait till they see this, you know, this, they're going to love this, this is great stuff, you know. <laughs> and this is, this is sort of how um, I, I feel this sutta lays out. Maybe not for you, but it sort of feels that way for me. So I thought it might be helpful just to walk through these four incorrect views. And, and as we do, I just want to invite you to consider your understanding of the incorrect view itself. You know, consider what the Buddha is pointing to here. And, and, and consider uh, possibly times when you've done that. I think we can see ourselves in all of these. We've all done all of these uh, incorrect views. And consider the impl- impact or the implications of buying into these and not knowing it, not seeing it. You know, it's all pretty transparent what the Buddha is saying here. And you only really have to scratch the surface a little bit to to see the incorrect view and um, to see how we uh, get into so many messes, you know, in the mind. (laughs) So um, the the first one is, uh, it goes like this. It says... uh, this is the view that one is identical with the five aggregates. I am this body. I am these feelings. I am these perceptions, these formations, this consciousness. And, you know, right out of the gate, you might say, well, yeah, that's right. That's what I am. <laughs> I'm this body. I'm these feelings. I'm this, these perceptions. Which is, is fine, and it may feel very true and very accurate when and if we like everything about this body, these feelings, <laughs> this mind, <laughs> etc. You know, but, but what if you what if you have a, a body that you don't like? Or what if you have a, a body that gets sick or is, is dying or in some condition that is uh, d- difficult to be with? You know, what what if you have mind states that uh, you'd rather not have? <laughs> <laughs> you see the setup, you know, if you believe this is who you are, you know. And what, what if your mind just likes to chatter away, just likes to talk and talk and talk all day, and you can't seem to control or manage that? You know, what you, the setup here is that you've got a battle on your hands. You know, this is who I am, and I don't like it. This is the way it is, and I don't like it. And, and you, so you can, you can find yourselves filled with all kinds of self-loathing because uh, we don't like the condition that we find ourselves in or because the mind doesn't work the way that we want it to work. You know, it's me. I'm identical with this body and mind, and, and I don't like it. <laughs> uh, and if they aren't doing what I want them to do, then uh, something's wrong. Have you, have you seen that one? Yeah. You know, I, I went through a period a number of years ago when um, I, I really wanted my mind to get things faster than it did. You know, <laughs> I, I was really irritated by the, the slowness of it. It's very slow and methodical and calculating. Sometimes I have to write things out extensively just to have it penetrate. 
And it's, oh, God, it's so brooding and plotting, you know. And it, it, it took me a long time to, to, just to do simple tasks. And, and I would get frustrated because I wanted to be done before I was done. I wanted to be, it's like getting ahead of yourself. And when I, I finally saw what I was doing, it was really interesting to me. And it, it exposed the root of the suffering in that. You know, because I began to see, what was, the, was it the way that my mind was working that's the suffering? Or is it this idea, this view that I had that, uh, you know, I, it, 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 I, I wanted it to be working some other way? Uh, or that uh, I, I wanted it to be doing something differently than it was doing? You know, I had to learn to just let it operate. And this is so fascinating. Everybody, everybody's mind works differently, you know? Some are like this and some are not, you know? And, and some are in between. And, and I just had to learn to accept. It's like, oh, it's so slow. And I, I would just try taking the wine out of that and say the same thing, you know? Yeah, it's so slow. It's so slow. Very different experience, you know, where I'm getting it. That this, this is this mind. This is how this uh, mind works. And just, you know, sit back and let it do its thing. Let it operate the way it operates. Get out of the way. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it, it'll do its job. You know, and any effort to change the way the mind uh, operates was engaging in unnecessary battle. So, I mean, it's all tied up with karma, too. I mean, I can't explain it. It's, it's our karma. You know, this is, this is what you got. <laughs> you got born and with this mind, and it works this way. <laughs> you know, what are you going to do, hate it? Uh, this is the body. This is my body, and this is how it looks. <laughs> uh, it's, it's not who I am. It's just the way it is. Yeah? Like getting to that, if you can feel it, that's really breaking through this first uh, incorrect view. I find that one very, very um, compassionate and kind and soft and opening, just understanding how to break out of that. The second view, this one's a good one too. (laughs) This is the view that one is contained within the five aggregates. Myself is in this body, feeling, perception, formations, and consciousness. I'm in here, looking at it out there. Can you feel that one? There's me, and there's the world. And uh, one time I was, I had just had this flash as I was contemplating this, and I, I flashed on this image of myself. I was standing in a a fabulous museum, and there was this huge landscape painting on the wall, this bigger-than-life landscape painting on the wall in front of me. And I was uh, looking at the the landscape, uh, looking at uh, my world, in a way. That's what it's like. It's me in here looking at it out there. And then suddenly, there's like, you know, some special effects in the mind. This image of myself appeared within the landscape. You know, there it was, standing in the glen, in this landscape painting. (laughs) And, and, uh, you know, in that moment, I just realized that all my life, I had been 
this notion that I was in here looking out there, and in fact, I'm in the picture. You know, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm nature. I am in nature. We are nature. We are part of nature. And, and with the correct view, you, you, learn to, you learn about nature, and you try to synchronize with it. Yeah? But with this incorrect view, then uh, you get these crazy ideas about dominion over nature, controlling nature, things like this. You can see the setup and the disconnect with the environment that this kind of view creates. So it's, it's imperative that we see it. You know, we're, we're destroying the planet from not seeing it. It's very important. So the, the third view, the third is the view that um, one is independent. Someone cracks me up. <laughs> what is independent from the five aggregates? There's me, and there's my body, <laughs> my feelings, my perception, my formations, my consciousness. Me and my body. <laughs> I have this image of walking down the street with a leash, you know, it's me, <laughs> me and, and my body. <laughs> That's how crazy it is. It's, a, it's really that crazy. You know, see if you can make sense of it. I mean, but this is in, this is in here. I mean, I've thought that way, haven't you? You know, and, and, and where is this me that isn't a part of anything? That somehow outside of it all. Yeah? And very clear when you start to contemplate that the five aggregates are all there is, man. <laughs> you know? <laughs> it, it, I, if I am independent from them, then uh, there's, there's something outside, and it's me. <laughs> I don't know. I think that one is a real good example of the Buddhist sense of humor. <laughs> And so the fourth, um, the fourth one is a view that one is the owner of the five aggregates. Yeah? <laughs> I'm the master, the master and commander of this body, these feelings, these perceptions, these formations, this consciousness. This is a great one. <laughs> I'm the master. And you know, I can make this body and mind do anything I want them to do. <laughs> Oh my God, I shouldn't be laughing. It's such a setup for suffering. You know, this is the stuff that says, I can clean up my act. I can whip myself into shape. And if I'm not doing it, if I'm not getting into shape, then uh, it, it's because I'm not trying hard enough. You know, I'm the master. It's pretty, pretty uh, transparent, isn't it? <laughs> that Buddha. <laughs> So if you do the math on these, you, you see that the, this is what appears in the suttas many times, that there are these 20 incorrect views, uh, one for each of the, one of these four views for each of the five aggregates. And, and the, this teaching appears in a number of suttas in the Pali Canon, and you can check it out for yourself. The, probably the most prominent one is the Tula Vedala Sutta, which is uh, Majjhima 44, if anybody wants to look it up. But there's another one that I like where the Buddha explains the whole thing, um, again, very similarly. But he adds this uh, thing where he, it's called the simile of the snake. And he, he further says that, that people that don't see this, 
teaching correctly, that, that they're like somebody who grasps a snake by the body or by the tail, and then the head whips around and bites them. <laughs> yeah, so he encourages us you know, to not see these aggregates as self. So the, the long of, and short of it in our practice is that uh, we, we tend to be preoccupied with or identified with um, what's happening in the body and the mind. And what the Buddha is saying is here, here is like, don't believe me, look and see. Uh, you, and you don't have to look very far to see this. All you have to do is sit down and meditate. You know, we all saw it the very first time we sat down and meditated. And, and probably uh, ever since, just about every single time that we sit down uh, and meditate. Uh, you know, we're, we, we see it uh, as the mind being preoccupied, totally, completely and utterly preoccupied with what's going on with the body and what's going on within uh, the, the, the mind itself. It's caught up in all in these five aggregates. And, and when we're preoccupied in this way, uh, what's happening is that all of the attention is there. You know, and you, you feel it. it it's, uh, in itself, that is a very painful condition. You know, I, I haven't met a meditator yet who hasn't commented on how painful that is to be so caught up and preoccupied with what's going on with this body and mind. And the Buddha said it right, he, he went right to it in his very first teaching on the Noble Truths where his definition of dukkha includes uh, identification with these five aggregates as suffering. This is suffering, his main aspect of his definition of it. And Sakaya Ditti, or the, the view um, of these as self, is the basis of that. <laughs> it's, uh, it's the suffering. So in and of itself, it's suffering. But then, as, as we've seen, it, it, it conduces to, uh, triggers a lot more uh, uh, suffering beyond that because of what happens when we grab hold in this way, how the mind gets caught up and goes on and on and on about what's going on in our experience. And the, the Satipatthana Sutta is trying to get us to break that habit. You know, when you, when you go through, the, especially the first three Satipatthanas, where the, the Buddha says, see the body as the body, see feeling as feeling, see mind as mind, and essentially leave it there. You know, don't do this um, building of a world, creating a view around that and building of a world around all of that, because that is what constitutes the suffering. So he's giving us a formula or a way to practice with that to break that habit. And, and, you know, without breaking that habit, then the whole system just starts to feel like it's just playing out these highly neurotic and compulsive modes, doesn't it? You know, we're living in a, in a kind of neurotic world, you know, in the, in the minds. And, and it's a very superficial way to live, but it's where we live a lot of the time. And that's not an indictment. It's not a criticism. It's actually insight. It's something that we want to see. It's something that we want to see very... Uh, specifically for ourselves. You know, if that's our standard operating procedure, then it's very likely that we don't see how tangled we are. You know, if we're completely, when you're in it, you can't see it. So this is the effort to be aware of it and to try to step outside of it, even even to to stop it uh, long enough just to question if that habit is in any way serving us. You know, because it's not. 
So through practice and, and contemplation, we'll, we'll see uh, how this view of self is, is a filter. It's kind of like a filter through which everything is getting picked up. And it's not the experience itself. So uh, gradually we're less caught up in it, less self-absorbed, uh, and, and caught up in less self-referential thinking. And you know, I, I encourage you to look and see, and see the truth of that. That especially if you've been at it for a while, that is definitely true. That there's less doing of this, there's less of this than there was uh, in the past. And and little by little, uh, it, it starts the, this new way of being, this new way of relating starts to take root. And, but I think it's important to note that seeing through what's happening, seeing through this construction of the this view of self and the sort of getting lost in it. Um, it, it doesn't mean that suddenly you're going to stop doing it. This is often a disappointment for a lot of people. It's like you, you can see it very, very clearly and still not be able to stop doing it. You know? and, and I just point to it, it's, it's, it's kind of like a runaway train. You know, it's got so much momentum that um, it, it's very easy for this to continue, even as we're seeing it. But... Um, what what happens over time is that we, we're um, able to stand, you know, it's sort of like the, the waves get shorter, more compact, and more spread out in between. We're able to stand back from it uh, a little bit more. But uh, what happens at, at this stage is that we begin to really uh, see it and act differently. And actually, I submit that I think this is actually quite accurate, that because uh, what we learn, know about the later stages of awakening um, is that uh, the, the habit of um, comparing self to others, the thing that we call conceit, uh, which is a very self-oriented habit, uh, isn't uprooted until the fourth stage. So there's got to be some habit that continues even though we break through this delusion. Um, but, what, but what we've got now, if we understand it, is the basis for letting go. I mean, don't you find as the years go by, the more you see through this, that you can just go, oh, I'm, not, I'm not buying it. I'm not going to go there. I'm not doing it. You know, I'm not grabbing. And uh, it, it's through understanding, through seeing clearly that we're able to do that. So I, I find that all very, very exciting. I'm sure you do too. So here's that. That's the one bit is seeing through um, these incorrect views of self. But here's another thing that I find really helpful. Um, I talk about this a lot because it's uh, been a major part of uh, maturing in my own understanding. And it, it came one time when I was reading a sutta. I love these suttas where the Buddha is teaching his son, Rahula. And uh, you, know, you sort of get this, I don't know, I get a warm, fuzzy feeling when I, when I read those, you know, because this is, he's giving his son his inheritance, you know, basically. He's teaching him um, the things that are going to be most useful and conduce to his greatest happiness. Um, and in this one... Uh, the, uh, he, he's pointing to the. Re- he's telling his son about the reflective nature of the mind, and um, it's very interesting. He says, he says that um, he doesn't say this exactly, but he says something to the effect of, "It's as if there's a mirror in the mind." 
And he's asking him, how do you contemplate? And, and you know, Rahula says, you know, you, you reflect, you reflect. He said, yes, it's as if there's a mirror in the mind. Um, and, it, and this is an interesting phenomenon, you know, that this mind is able to see what's going on within itself. It's a, it's, it's, a, it's a unique experience. As far as we know, it's uniquely human. And it's part of what makes this human birth so fortunate. You know, that, that and uh, the, the mix of pleasure and pain uh, is apparently um, why this human birth is so fortunate. But it, it, it's, the, the, it's the capacity that makes it possible to meditate. We're actually using this capacity every time we uh, are uh, reflecting on our own moment-to-moment experience. The mind is looking at what's happening within itself and reflecting that back to itself. Can you feel it? It's, it's really fascinating. So add to this uh, the fact that we, as human beings, are extremely verbal. <laughs> you might have noticed. We, we like to talk. Uh, we like to articulate to... Uh, uh, what is happening. And, you know, language is very well developed. So the combination of these, this reflective capacity of the mind and uh, our articulate nature, it sets up this internal dialogue. You know, it's like the mind is talking to itself all of the time about what's going on and about nothing, something that's not even remotely going on, but it's going on within its own mind, you know. <laughs> uh, and so it, it's just talking to itself incessantly, right? So we aren't simply perceiving the world, we're also talking to ourselves about it. And, and uh, we're feeding back to ourselves what we sense, what we feel, what we think, what's going on, you know. It's like, you get a pain, and this is, this is where you can see this distinction of the experience and the view. You get a pain in the knee, and it's like in the, in the moment, in the direct experience of that, this being already knows that there's a pain there. But then you have this thought, this articulation to itself, ah, oh, there's a pain in my knee. Yeah? It's just, it's just, sending a memo. <laughs> it's kind of talking to itself about what's happening. You, you know, or, or it's like somebody just barks at you and you, ah, you feel that pain of being barked at. Yeah? And then um, you go, I didn't like that. That scares me. They shouldn't talk like that. You know, that little bit is a, the, um, the mind telling itself what that feeling of being barked at is, you know? It hurt, I didn't like it, yeah. But we get caught up in it. We get very, very caught up in it. But interestingly, and this is where I think it's a, it's a, it's a breakout teaching, really, that same feedback loop is the, the, the same mechanism, if you will, that makes it possible to contemplate Dhamma. You know, it's it's the same mechanism that is going. Oh, look at that! Oh, I think that's a hindrance. Okay. Oh, that's what they're talking about. That's anger. That's hatred. That's you know, it's 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 telling itself uh, as it sees the dhamma. It is reporting back to itself that ah, oh, I get it. That's what the Buddha is saying. I get that. 
right? So it's a very important capacity, and that's the bit that's so tied up with our liberation. It's a very important capacity to be able to reflect back to ourselves the Dhamma in what we're seeing. That's what that fourth foundation of mindfulness is about, seeing the Dhamma in the Dhammas. But the thing is that in the unawakened state, that feedback loop is almost completely tied up with self-absorbed thinking. It's just that the, the mind is like there's no room to contemplate Dhamma because it's all about me and it's all, all about what I think and uh, what I have to say about things. So, you know, the, the, if, if you can feel that, then I think what the Buddha is trying to get us to is, is like use this system, use this hardware and software that you got born into for, in the interest of your own liberation not in the perpetual interest of self-gratification. That's, that's where all the suffering is. And so try to uh, recognize the, what, what you got. You know, you, you got born a human being. <laughs> very, very good karma here. Very good um, uh, karma, fruits of past actions. That, that makes it, you, you got everything you need, basically, to get free. The trick is knowing how to use it. Get it out of this uh, self-absorbed orientation of self-view and and point it in the direction of Dhamma. And and you've got a winning combination here. (laughs) You know, you've got the the potential for um, right view (laughs) instead of self-view. So just uh, contemplating all this, I, I think that aspect of the, the Dhamma, the teachings of the Buddha, is, is, can be very, very helpful. Just look back, look and see. And again, it's one of those, don't take the, uh, anybody's word for it. Look and see. Is this not a description of what uh, our experience is? Uh, and, and then if so, then we know for ourselves and we can use it. Um, use it in the interest of our own freedom. So it's powerful stuff. (laughs) Powerful stuff, is it not? So just to consider what we're doing here as practitioners, uh, we want to examine our experience of this body and mind and and see for ourselves what's going on here, what's going on within it. We're scrutinizing our moment-to-moment experience, just as we do in meditation, with an eye to seeing for ourselves how this sense of self is constructed, how it's formed in the mind, you know, how we are grasping at the experience of the body and mind over and over again, and identifying with it, thinking that it's us, and getting caught up in it, and getting caught up in what's happening at that level. We want to practice with an eye to, to seeing the consequences of doing that, What's it like to do that? What's it like to stop doing it? You know, and, and basically like be there for both of these experiences and serve this up to the mind. You know, it, 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 it's not, it'll get it. It, it likes figuring things out. <laughs> you know, but it just needs the, the good data to, in order to do that. And uh, see, the, see the consequences of identifying with this constructed view of self. And then uh, practicing with an eye to seeing how to break out of the habit of that. Uh, 
through uh, meditative insight and through understanding. And as we see through this fetter uh, of Sakaya Ditti for ourselves, then I, I don't know, the practice really begins to get off the ground. It really begins to take off because you've got a good, clean basis for non-attachment. You know, it, 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 it's, it just doesn't, do, it doesn't want to do this anymore because it sees the harm, it sees the danger, uh, it, it sees the suffering in all of it. And, and so we're, our, our task then is to work to see this for ourselves. And, and through the, the months and years of practice, you know, I submit it, it's all getting better. It's getting, we're getting a bit wiser, we're getting a bit more impartial. And we, we want to be sure that we see that, that we catch that, that, that this practice is indeed bearing fruit. So right about now, if you're like me, you might be saying, well, wait a minute, if I'm not any of that stuff, then who the heck am I? (laughs) It's a good question. (laughs) Maybe it's more like a what am I? Yeah. So I I highly recommend that you ask that question a lot and uh, really hold it uh, forth at the, the front of the mind and contemplate it. You know, it, it, to me, it goes along with a lot of these other questions that we ask through the years. You know, why was I born? <laughs> what am I doing here? Is this somebody's idea of a joke? <laughs> so I'll leave you with that. <laughs> You know, you, you can't help but get into those kind of questions. And there's a real twilight zone aspect to waking up where you have to come to grips with all of those kinds of questions. You know, the Buddha, the Buddha is not a superficial, surface-level teacher. <laughs> he goes right to the heart of the matter <laughs> and takes, it, takes you all the way there with him. You know, he really goes for the jugular. And uh, as... Devoted practitioners, that's exactly what we're doing, and you, and you want to do that. So I offer you this for your reflection tonight. I hope it's helpful. So we can um, have our chant, but I also, um, as we announced this morning, would like to... Um, Practice it into the evening if you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.